welcome 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 and welcome back guys it's your girl lee here and right now you are enjoying black girls love movies the podcast where we talk about our favorite movies tv anime hell just about everything under the sun as always thank you guys so so much for listening for supporting if you want to send me a question or a show topic or just a recommendation for something to watch you can hit me up on my twitter um at love black films or you can email the show black girls love movies at gmail.com you can also support the show by donating to my cash app um dollar sign lee and maiden l-e-e-a-n-n-m-a-i-d-e-n please remember to like share and subscribe so we can grow this bad boy all right y'all so today i'm so excited to review this movie because i had such a good time and i'm gonna tell you why so one of the things that me and my boyfriend love to do is we love to make memories together i know corny but one of the things that we really enjoy is we love having date night we really take a lot of pride in having this set time dedicating to one another enjoying each other's company it's just really something that's helped my relationship overall so i got the opportunity to watch this movie and it was really it was just so it was just such a good day um because we went and he was looking up the show times before we bought the tickets and he was like oh babe this movie is in um 40x rp rpx or whatever and um we can go thursday night and i was like oh my god because i love i love a thursday night showing before the movie's actually released to the public i love it i just to me it's like being a part of an exclusive club where you like get to see the movie before quote unquote everybody else and it's just it's just fun you know having that knowledge before other people so as soon as he said 40x rpx i was like oh yeah we we have to see this movie in 3d or 4d so i've never i haven't been to a 3d movie in a long time i actually can't remember the last 3d movie i saw but this is the first time that i was in a theater with the actual like the rpx stuff and what that is is it creates this immersive experience where your chair is moving you feel the wind the rain the water like the vibrations like everything you feel so you really feel like immersed into the movie and with this being such a heady sci-fi heavy movie i was like yeah i want to be i want to be on this ride so i want to preface this by saying that i enjoyed this movie because the movie was good for me like personally i think it was a good movie but also i had such an incredible experience that shaped the way that i look at the movie now because i felt so immersed into the story as I, I, i'm telling y'all like this was probably the best way that you can enjoy a big popcorn a big like opening night kind of film like this a big sci-fi film and it's really gonna just entrench you like I felt like both of us were so immersed into the movie even in the quiet moments I felt more focused because my like adrenaline was so high from just the excitement from the explosions just the feeling the uh, like feeling myself go through the quantum realm with with the characters it was just incredible so I absolutely love this movie. Um, for me personally, Ant-Man, the franchise itself ranks really high. For me, I love Ant-Man 1. I will con I will rewatch that movie often. Um, 
before I watched like two, Ant-Man 2. But yeah, this movie and specifically Paul Rudd, the character of Ant-Man is to me, he's such a funny character. Um, I love his sense of humor. I love the character overall, the costuming, this world that they created for um, Scott Lang, aka Paul Rudd. It's just such a crazy, it's a crazy world because I feel like out of all the Avengers, I feel like Scott, without Scott, there would have been no Endgame or an Infinity War. Um, Scott played such an, in, like, such an important part in that movie overall. Like, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have had an idea of how to traverse time. None of that would have happened without um, Ant-Man. So, yes, I'm I'm going to be raving about this movie. Now, there are there's some things in this movie that I didn't like, and we'll talk about them. But I wanted to let you guys know all the good about this movie to basically say, y'all need to go see this movie for yourself. And I say that because this movie has been getting a lot of negative reviews. But from regular audience members and just from regular people, I feel like, this movie has been doing really well. It had a great opening weekend. I think it made like over $200 million or something, which is great. Um, I don't know if it's going to go on to make like $500 million or, you know, I don't know if it's going to make that much money, but I think that it's done really well. Um, and I think the thing that really makes this movie such a great movie is the fact that you have two incredible characters in Paul Rudd's Ant-Man and Jonathan Major's Kang and we're going to talk more about them when I get to like the character breakdown because I don't want to walk you through this movie one because there's so much shit happening in this movie that I can't explain it to you one because I'm not a quantum physicist and I can't explain the science the true science that's involved in this but what I can tell you is all the shit that I loved about the movie. So don't listen. If you want a scientific breakdown, you know, there are other people that review like that. OK, I am not a Ph.D. scientist. OK, I'm not explaining black holes and the quantum realm. You know, if you y'all can go look up Michael Eric Dyson and he is it Michael Eric Dyson. What? Who is that? He's like the main um black scientist that works for nasa i'm gonna look him up real quick because i have to give this man um his credit um oh my god i cannot think of his name and i always see his his videos all the time about black holes in the universe yeah if you want that there's channels that do that okay but back to the review. So listen, this movie, Kang, 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 Kang. That's all I can really say. Like, I'm looking at my notes and that's literally what I wrote. Because I think, to me personally, Phase 5 is really shaping into something very different that we haven't seen before. And I'm excited. Um, the visuals in this movie are so breathtaking and so beautiful i know that they did a lot of filming on the volume um which is a new filming um technique that's kind of becoming more and more popular with different movies and tv sets you if you've listened to my um review of house of the dragon you know that i talked about how immersive it felt to to watch the scenes and can't really tell like are they on the volume are they in spain you know what i mean because it's so 
immersive and I think it's better for the actors because the actors always say that they enjoy the experience because it gives them something to work off of versus being in a giant blue screen or being in a giant green screen it's more it's easier for them to basically do their job when they have stuff to look at and work off of so the visuals were incredible. I really liked the look of the quantum realm. I like that we spent so much time in the quantum realm. I, I do wish we had a little bit more with Cassie and the family, and we'll talk about that. But overall, the visuals in the quantum realm were really good. I, I don't, the criticism that I saw was that a lot of people said, oh, it just looks, it looked fake. Like it didn't, like there was no suspension of disbelief for you to believe that this was a real universe, that this was a real like environment that people were actually interacting in. But I didn't feel that way. Um, the other thing is the power structure that is so evident. And I'm glad that Kang was in this movie because it really sets us up for phase five to understand who is this character? Who is this antagonist? What does he mean to the MCU? What does he mean to other characters? Specifically, what does Kang mean to himself? And we'll talk about that when we talk about the Kang dynasty. Um, so a couple of characters that I wanted to let y'all know of that were my favorite characters that we're not going to talk about later, but I wanted them to get this love now. Number one is Modok, a.k.a. Darren, played by um, the incredible Corey Stoll. What I, I don't care what Corey Stoll is in. He just has this way like, you know, those characters that can just play like really villainous, malicious people. And you're just like, oh, yeah, like, I believe you. He just has a way of just it's like being menacing, but also being really funny. Modoc was incredibly funny in this movie. Like, yes, he was menacing in his Modoc way. Um, but <laughs> Darren was so funny, especially like when... He was talking about like when he was explaining to Paul or uh, Ant-Man's character, like how he turned into MODOK and like how Kang basically like turned him into this machine. And then like you get to see that like one scene of his ass when he comes like when they like drag his body up like Darth Vader style, like out the water or whatever. <laughs> and then you see his little butt. It is so funny. Stuff like that was funny. And then he had the funniest line when he. OK, so he, you know spoiler he does die at the end of the movie but he sacrifices himself to save cassie and he's like at least i died an avenger and <laughs> and everybody's looking around like uh what bro what all right sure sure you have that you have that it was so funny i i really enjoyed modok i love the look um because i feel like you could have Modok is a really goofy looking character like he's basically just a head with legs he looks goofy as hell so it's like how could y'all make and they use Corey Stoll's real face and it worked I don't know how they did it but it works y'all it's so funny and this is coming from someone who I really do not like that Modok Hulu show and I like that kind of style of animation that kind of like robot chicken style I love that and it's really funny. But that show was terrible. So I'm glad they redeemed him. I'm so glad they redeemed him in this. The next person I want to talk about is um, Veb. Veep? Veb. So if you, <laughs> he's the pink, he's like the pink jellyfish looking dude. He's um, voiced by Dave Dashmalian. And 
Dutch Molly and he is like the gift that just keeps on giving he's so funny so effortlessly funny so he was in the first um was he in the first two no he was just in the first one I think he's the Russian guy that's a part of their little um group with T.I. and um what's that uh Spanish guy's name I can't think of his name but he's so funny and I really missed him in this movie if anything I think I but I don't know what he could have done in this movie other than like have like a scene or whatever at towards the end. But Veeb is so funny. And that scene where they're like, they have to drink his, his blood or something in order for them to like understand, um, the people, like the language of the quantum realm. And then he's like, he's talking to Scott and he's like, how many holes do you have? And there's a moment in the theater where like, I didn't think about it because I was like already just like so immersed into everything else. But there is a moment where like I think people were sitting there counting like, damn, do I have seven holes? Do I have seven holes? I guess they're just talking about like your face and not your holes like in your nether nether regions. But yeah, I thought that he was so funny. And again, just more to love because I think Ant-Man, this franchise is a like comedic franchise there's really serious moments but overall like the franchise is supposed to be funny like ant-man is supposed to be funny he's this version of ant-man scott lang is like you take him serious but not really you know what i mean like he funny he can do the job but like it's scott that's how they (laughs) that's so funny like that's how they look at him um and then who else oh bill murray so i know this had been like a big thing when um they announced that Bill Murray was even in the movie because everybody was like, oh, who is he going to be? Who Who is he? Even Bill Murray, like he, I don't know what he said. Like it was a big thing. Um, he, he came out talking about his role in um, Ant-Man or something like that. And it was like news for a couple of days. I can't remember exactly what he said. But Bill Murray is just one of those timeless actors that can just like, again, be serious but be really fucking funny at the same time and he was hilarious he was so hilarious I hate that they kind of just used him for this like one-off thing but I think it was I think he had a good time making it and honestly I can't see I, I that role and what he needed to do was important like they needed to have someone of importance and what I mean like an actor who had a decent name with them or like a decent level of clout attached to them where we like we needed to pay attention like everybody was focused like who is bill murray like what is he doing and that forces you to listen to his conversation when he basically straight up tells michelle pfeiffer like bitch you left us you left us here you you left us and we had to deal and make tough decisions and choices with what we had left you left us bitch you was you was our freedom fighter me and you had a thing and then you left us Bill Murray's character was really good. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of like my overall thoughts. Just, you know, just rambling thoughts of like what I enjoyed about the movie. Um, and now I want to talk to you about, unfortunately, some of the things that I did not like. I didn't like. Um, and we're going to start with with Cassie. Um, because I don't have anything against Catherine Newton. I think Catherine Newton did what she needed to do with the role that she was given. However, for the character of Cassie, I do not have a personal connection with Catherine Newton's character or with her version. Because the young woman that played older Cassie in Endgame is not this is not the same actress. So it's just for me personally, like 
it took me out just a little bit because I didn't really care about her. You know what I mean? In the other movies, I felt like that little girl that originally played Cassie, it made sense that she kind of morphed into the version that we saw in Endgame. And it's like they just switch, you know, it's like they aren't vived us. You know, they just switch the characters and just was like, yeah, just keep just keep going. It's the same person, the same person. So, and honestly, I needed a little bit more time with her in the beginning because you have to understand, like, this is the first time we're getting to experience, the audience is getting to experience Cassie as an older character, not just a little girl in the first and second movies. Um, and not just that time skip where she grows up and, you know, Scott misses all this time with her. So for me, I wanted more time with her because I personally, I don't have a connection with this character, this version of her. So it would have like, yeah, I'm glad that she's trying to stand up for people who've been impacted by the blip. You know, she, you know, she was arrested for protesting. Like she really wants to be on her activism and I applaud that. But I hate that I don't care as much as I'm supposed to because I don't care for Catherine Newton in this role. You know, that's, I I know that's weird to explain. And I don't think she did a bad job. I think she did a great job. I just wish that there was more time with her in the beginning because I needed to be invested in this version of her, you know? And then my other really big gripe is I'm really disappointed that Evangeline Lilly's character didn't have absolutely shit to do in this movie. And I, it kind of pisses me off when I think about it because the first movie, you know, they tease us at the end with the suit, you know, that Hank had been building this suit, this second suit when um, Michelle Pfeiffer's character was basically stuck in the quantum realm. And then the second movie, she has more to do. Like there's more actual dedicated scenes and times with her fighting, being the actual wasp. And in this movie, it's like, okay, so you on your business like you on your boss bitch shit you know like you got your you got your company i'm here for assist you changing lives you're using the pim particle technology to help people who have been impacted by the blimp love it you're encouraging cassie's um love and general interest in quantum technology and just this this version of science so you know she's here for that but i feel like i sat in that movie and Hope didn't have anything to do other than ask her mom, like, why didn't you tell me the truth about what happened down here? And that kind of pisses me off. And but I'm not going to take anything away from Evangeline Lily because I know like watching the movie, I feel like, okay, she did what she did all that she could do, you know, and it's disappointing that she still hasn't gotten the love that she deserves. And I don't know what it is about these female characters in the MCU that they're just not you know what i mean like it it just couldn't be black widow scarlett johansson can't be every woman in all the damn movies you know what i mean like y'all have to give these other women a chance and an opportunity to shine you you can do it on tv you gave wanda you gave elizabeth olsen the best fucking tv show the best marvel tv show that i've ever seen that is my favorite show i love wandavision with a passion but then i get the multiverse of madness and y'all just y'all basically made her crazy for no reason it's like y'all just took all this character work away for no damn reason and i still like multiverse of madness 
But I think I'm getting really sick and tired of the women of the MCU not being treated, not being given the kind of level of quality and scenes in these movies that they deserve. Now, Wakanda Forever is an outlier because that franchise had no idea that they were going to lose their main character and had to pivot and pivot hard. But I'm talking about any other movie. When I think of Love and Thunder, I, I, it pisses me off how they did Jane. When I think of Black Widow, I can't even appreciate that movie the way I want to because I know that she's dead and this movie don't even chronologically make sense. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it pisses me off when I think about these incredibly talented women. They're not being wasted. They're given good parts, but it's like damn why why isn't it showing up on screen for me for the for the mem for the audience member it's not showing up on screen for me the way i want it to does that make sense all right so before we get into the character breakdown we're, we're gonna do like a little a little aside because i've watched a lot of review videos and i'm not gonna lie it really kind of breaks my heart a little bit how people are just losing faith and I find that kind of odd because people are only losing faith because, like Kang says, like, you, you know how it ends. Not, not so much you know how it ends, but you know how it goes now. Now the curtain has been pulled back. The wizard isn't so much a wizard. You see the, the, the machinations behind the screen. And you realize, like, well, I know how this is supposed to go because I dedicated to all the other 27 movies in the first four phases. So I know how it's supposed to be and y'all aren't doing it the way I want y'all to do it. And y'all aren't doing it the way that you used to do it. And honestly, audience members and specifically fans of the comic book world are spoiled five-year-olds. We're spoiled five-year-olds and our parent, Marvel and Kevin Feige, have no kind of discipline and give us what we want every single time. Every single time they break their back and give us exactly what we want and we're still ungrateful. As a community, not everybody. There are people who genuinely, who can have criticisms of these movies and move on. There are people who love the movies like me, but don't love everything. And then there are people who literally have a whole brand and ideology that is just built on hating every single thing imaginable. And I just can't understand that. I can understand hating something because it's bad, but I can't understand hating something just to hate something. To me, that doesn't make any sense. So I personally, I do not have any superhero fatigue. I never have. I, and I probably never will because I love these movies like there's like no tomorrow. That's why I started this podcast. That's why I watch that's why I watch so much com so many comic book movies and so many hero films. That's why I read comics. You know what I mean? Because I'm a fan. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I I just I can't. I'm addicted. I'm like a fiend. And it's really sad when I hear people say, "Oh, I'm just burnt out." Like they're doing the same thing over and over again. And it's just like, "What fucking movie are what movies are y'all watching?" Now, I get it. Everybody has their own personal opinion. But it does disappoint me that people are just saying, oh, superhero fatigue, superhero fatigue. Honestly, it's, it's really a bunch of bullshit because you can say that about any kind of character, any kind of genre of film. Oh, romantic comedy fatigue, romantic comedy fatigue. Oh, sci-fi fatigue. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy just to say that shit. But do you really feel that way? Anyway, um, 
I'm patient enough to wait for this for this phase to be fleshed out. I am because I'm dedicated. They already got my money. I I had a whole podcast now. I gotta review these damn movies. You know they have they have me invested. I I am an investor, a lifetime investor. So yes, I'm going to patiently wait the same way I patiently waited for the moment when I sat in the theater by myself for Infinity War and I I saw Thanos snap his fingers and I said it out loud on my row and other people heard me. I said, oh my God, he fucking did it. He actually did it. Knowing after having read the comics and knowing how it's going to go, I was still fucking shocked. Yeah, because I love these damn movies. And I'm invested, okay? Now, this is another side note, and I don't know how true this is. This is my personal speculation. But I personally think that the Fantastic Four, going forward, they're going to play a big role in the Kang Dynasty. Now, y'all saying, girl, that's obvious. But you have to think about the moves that Marvel has been making. This is the only, uh, to me personally, this movie is the only movie that they won't, they refuse to tell us anything about this movie. No casting, they changed the director, that's it, we know who's writing the movie, we don't know shit else. Absolutely nothing else. So to me, that that makes me think, okay, so this property is incredibly important and also such a risk. Because they're, I feel like they're trying to create this element of storytelling where we want to bring people back. You know, there are people who are superhero fatigue. There are people who aren't fatigued but just don't understand where we're going in this phase. They're just lost in the sauce. Now, for me, I'm not lost in the sauce. I'm just, I'm on the boat. I'm, I'm on this ride. Just, I'm going with the flow, you know? But I genuinely think that the Fantastic Four are going to play a huge role in Kang Dynasty because I've been having these epiphanies lately that the reason why they don't want to talk about Fantastic Four is because they've already cast it. And I think that Jonathan Majors is Reed Richards. That's my hot take. That's my hot take. I'm sticking to it. So that also leads me to believe that the Fantastic Four are not going to be the traditional um white all-american family that we've seen for through the 40s and the 60s i think that this version of the fantastic four is going to be criminally different and i think that they're scared of the reaction you know what i mean they're incredibly scared of the reaction but i think if they if they can nail the casting if they can continue to just take these steps and nail the foundation you know, the house that they build on top will be solid. The how the mansion that they build on top, priceless. So that's my hot take. Um, now, the other thing I do want to say, my only hope and prayer is that they have an equally strong doom that can compete with Kang, right? Because there's really no other villain or antagonist that could compete with somebody like Kang other than Dr. Doom and that's just straight from the comics because they have such a contentious relationship I would describe their relationship like so Doom and Kang are like two hustlers on the corner and Doom is like okay you know like this my corner like I'm I'm moving my work Uh, uh, like this is what I do 
Kane comes into the corner and basically OGs everybody. Everybody's answering to him. You know what I mean? Like everybody is respecting Kane because they, they look like, oh, this this is the OG. This is the OG's OG. And Doom looks at it like, well, I want to be an OG too. So Doom, you know, he he works on himself. He works on his product. He works on his his personal mission. And then lo and behold, Doom is an OG too. But the problem is two OGs can't be on the same corner. And that is the beef that they both have with each other. Doom has a level of respect for Kang, but a level of animosity because he wants to be better than that. You know? So that's my hot take. Um, the other thing I will leave you with, if you're worried that this movie is heady, if you're worried that this movie is very sci-fi, I'm here to tell you that it actually it is. It is. So that would be my concern trying to recommend this movie to anyone is if they're not someone who likes a lot of sci-fi, if they're not into fantasy and, you know, stuff like that, they may not enjoy certain parts of the movie. But there are certain aspects of this movie and certain scenes, specifically certain scenes with um, Jonathan Majors that could pull anybody in just because of the level of actor that he is. All right, so... Do I want to, yeah, we're going to do our character breakdown, um, but I'm saving Kang for last because I have so much to say about him. All right, let's do some character breakdowns. So I've talked about him quite a lot. Um, so I'm really only going to kind of give you my hot takes for his character. So we're going to start with Scott Lang, a.k.a. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is just a gift that keeps on giving. Like, he know he know the kind of actor that he is, and he know the kind of movie that he in, so he takes advantage of it. To me, I really enjoyed this version of Ant-Man. I think this, this because, and I'm going to tell you this too, because I was definitely on that train, like, oh, Scott, Scott, he did. Like, is this his third movie too? Oh, he did. Finito. Six feet under. Eight feet, because he, he ain't coming back. I just knew that, Paul was gonna die in this movie I just fucking knew it because I thought well that would be a great way to you know to really get into this phase losing another Avenger that was really integral to our previous phase you know him being a father him having legacy and a daughter and family that's left behind so even if even if I didn't think he was gonna die at the end when John when him and Jonathan Majors are really getting into it and fighting and there was a moment where I looked at my boyfriend I was like he about to die and my boyfriend just shook his head because he was just watching um jonathan majors beat the shit out of scott so yeah i, I just knew in my heart of hearts that this was gonna be this was gonna be paul's last movie and then <laughs> the thing that made it so funny for me was like okay so i can talk about evangel um evangeline lily too in this because so there's a scene towards the end of the movie where it's like the climactic scene it's like they're the family has finally got their portal their key to get back from the quantum realm back to reality like regular reality and it's that scene and i'm sure you all can probably imagine it where everybody individually is going through the portal of course the last person is the hero so scott's the last one to go and he sees that um he sees that like Kang tries to kind of come in and bum rush and, and try to get out. 
and he knows that this version of Kang, and we're going to talk about it, this version, like he can't get out. Like he, he, he can't. So there's a moment where that was the moment where I was like, damn, Scott about to die. Like he, he tricks Kang and basically like shrinks him even further into his own, um, battery, like his little, his battery for his chair. And Evangeline Lily like comes in and she saves him. And I was like, fuck, she did too, because I bet you this was it. She, she did probably didn't sign another contract. That was the part that I was thinking of. Damn, both of them going to die. Y'all going to take out the Ant-Man and the Wasp? What the hell? But then I was like, well, damn, that's a great, that's a great hero start for, <laughs> for Cassie to lose her dad and her pseudo mom. But anyway, um, yeah, I really thought it was up for them. I Now, I don't know about Evangeline Lily's character because I've, like I mentioned before, it, I'm really kind of disappointed in how they did her. Um, I don't know if she gonna come back to be quite honest with y'all. And I mean, technically now that they have Cassie, they really don't need her, you know what I mean? As like the female superhero, like it would be great to have like the Ant-Man family. That'd be awesome for all of them to have a suit like in the fourth movie. But I don't, I don't know. Like I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know if she signed another contract. I mean, I haven't really seen any interviews with her and all the interviews she never talks. So I think she's, I don't know if this is like a weird way. This is my conspiracy brain because y'all know over the summer, like two summers ago, she was like real anti-vax. So I don't know if this is like her punishment or whatever. And I say to that, listen, that's not right. I'm fully vaccinated, but I'm never going to tell somebody what to do with their fucking body. I'm never going to do that. So I, I, and again, straight conspiracy. Maybe they just like, low-key telling her yeah you shouldn't have said that shit a couple couple years ago which is really fucked up if you think about it um why am i oh we was because we was really talking about scott i'm like damn we're talking about hope and i really need to be talking about scott this is his movie um i do like that they brought the heist element back you know what i mean from the first film i think they really wanted to take all the things that people really loved about the first movie and bring them back. Like there's a mention of the citrus when um, stature gets really big and Paul um, uh, Paul Rudd's character is there to like tell her like about the orange slices. It was just funny. Like that moment was funny. Um, I do really like that they shit on him like writing the book. So if you watched... Um, Miss Marvel, you know that Kamala Khan has read uh, Paul uh, Scott Lang's book and listens to the podcast. And Scott basically has, for all the people that weren't there for Endgame and Avengers, he basically wrote a tell-all book. And it's like one of those people that like, it'd be like um, hustling a book and, and shit. And then the family give him so much hell. They're like, oh, damn, Scott you saved the world you should write a book like they just be giving him hell and it'd be so funny that i think was really really funny i love the scene when um he goes back to the fucking basket robbins and they make him employee of the century oh my god y'all that shit was hilarious and jimmy woo jimmy woo got a cute little cameo in there too i'm really glad he's in there um what else what else now um the one thing i will say because i don't know now this would be really interesting too because if you if y'all know in the comics the version of hank he went crazy 
I don't know if y'all remember that he went he went crazy. There was a storyline where he was like beating on Janice. Like it was real crazy. So what I'm thinking, because at the end of the movie, when they, you know, quote unquote, I guess win or they like trap Kang even further into the quantum realm. Um, Scott Lang has a moment where he's like paranoid. Like he's like, yeah, we won. Wait, did we? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we won. We won. We won. But damn, is he really trapped? Like, it was so crazy with that moment. And that's what I was thinking. Like, oh, my God. Like, are they going to make him go crazy? Like, that would be interesting. Because that's a version of him that we've never seen before. Manic, crazy, just, oh, my God. That would be so cool. That would be so cool. But, yeah, like, towards the end of the movie, I, I do like that they were playing with that. Like, oh, yeah, everything's all right. But is it? Yeah, we good. But are we? Like, I love that. That playful black and back and forth for me, that dark humor, I loved it. Because as I was kind of, you know, reading reviews and like just trying to get prepared for the show today, the thing that kept coming up for me, and I hope it comes up for you, do y'all remember in Endgame, or was it Infinity? No, it was Infinity War, where the, you know, the best part of the movie is when they all fight like the actual war um but Thanos has just come like 2014 Thanos has just come through and um Tony Stark like the building is blown up like it's just calamity calamity before the before the big fight and the like our three like our trinity of Thor Captain America and Iron Man are like all together so um Tony Stark or uh, Robert Downey Jr. has a really funny line. He's incredible. I love that. I love him so much. He says to Steve Rogers or to Chris Evans' character, um, "Hey, you lose it. it was something about a shield. Like if you lose this again, I'm not giving you another one." Like he gives him a, a hard time, and then he, then Captain America or Chris um, Chris Evans says, "What happened?" And the most eerie fucking line of this entire saga of films. Robert Downey Jr. says, when you mess with time, it tends to mess back. You'll see. So fucking creepy. So creepy. So fucking creepy. Um, oh, I was talking about. I was talking about Scott and Hope, but I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, just doing research on the show. That's what, and even now, that's all I can think about is just Tony Stark saying in that fucking movie, when you mess with time, it, time, it tends to mess back. When you mess with time, it tends to mess back. And especially towards the end, when we get to our post credit scenes, I was like, oh my fucking God. Just take all my money. Take all my money right now because uh, just take all my money so I can go to the movies. <laughs> um, Oh, Cassie. So I've, I've talked about Cassie and our Catherine Newton's character. Um, I don't want to kind of keep talking about the same thing with her, but overall, like I said, I don't hate Catherine Newton because I could never like hate an actor for playing a character. That's weird. Um, but I just don't have an emotional connection with this version of her because I haven't spent any time with her. You know, like this isn't the Cassie I know. And it's just hard for me to like suspend that disbelief when, when if I, you know, like people will do once this movie goes on to Disney Plus, they may watch Endgame or Infinity War. And then, you know, maybe they movie hop in and they say, oh, I want to watch Ant-Man 3. And they watch the movie and they're going to be like, who the fuck is this girl? Oh, this is cat. You know, I can just see that because it's an easy criticism to make. Oh, they changed the character. I don't like it. You know, 
Now, the one thing I will say, her suit was gorgeous. I love the purple. Absolutely gorgeous suit, but that's my favorite color. Um, and I do like that they showed the progression of her, like, understanding how her powers work. Like, you know, it was funny. There's a scene earlier in the movie where um, Scott and her... Scott and Cassie have like this back and forth of like he's trying to explain to her how to fight and she's just like stop being a weird dad like it's just it was really like father daughter and I really like that um but yeah I really do like how like Cassie's character wants to take on this role of an activist I do appreciate that especially as she's a younger character she's gonna play this role for a while she's gonna be in the in the young Avengers so I do really like that she is making sure that people understand what her character is about now. She's about helping people, saving lives. She wants to be a hero. She knows she comes from heroes. So yeah, I can really appreciate that. And I think a lot of other young women who will look up to her will also appreciate that too. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, honey. The Not the original Catwoman, but definitely not even the sexiest because Eartha Kitt kind of got her with that but I will say I love me some Michelle Pfeiffer she is such an incredible actress <sighs> like just a gift that keeps on giving just like Michael Douglas I love I will watch old Michael Douglas stuff just so I can be like damn he just he's just aging like wine like he's he look good to be an old man all that gray so I'll, I guess I'll kind of talk about them together because they're they're a pair Michelle and Michael so I do feel like out of everybody, Michelle Pfeiffer had the biggest role. She had like the most to do and she had the highest stakes as far as a character. I feel like she the movie really should have been about her um, because I love how when the movie started, it immediately opens up with because um, we know, you know, Janet has been in the quantum realm like she'd been there for 30 years. Right. So to me, when the movie starts and you see um, Kang's ship being kind of like forced into the quantum realm and then you see that shot of Michelle of Michelle Pfeiffer's character, I do like that their relationship with one another started out really like really pure and just innocent. You know, two lost souls somewhere where they're not supposed to be trying to connect because at this point she hasn't really had any other human contact other than some of the people in the quantum realm. But she like doesn't have any companionship like no friendship down there so I really did I love their scenes together because it made me sympathize with why Kang wants to get out so bad but it also made me realize how strong of a character um Hope had to uh, not Hope I'm sorry Janet has to be because um there's scenes so let me continue to set this up at the beginning of the movie, you get you meet Kang and Michelle Pfeiffer's character because she's been in, in the quantum realm. She saves his life and they um, she starts to help him rebuild his ship. Now, if you've ever seen um, Avengers, the animated series, um, the newer one that came out in like the last five or six years, that version of Kang that you see in the series, he's always in this weird chair. I call it the Mobius chair, but it's not really the Mobius chair. That's just a, a plug from DC. But this chair allows him or allows the user to transverse time and universes. Hmm. 
So I wonder, did DC steal that from Marvel or did Marvel take that from DC? Because I don't know how old like the idea of the Mobius chair is, but either way. So basically, this chair allows him to move across space and time. And when he's forced into the quantum realm, the battery basically breaks. Um, but it's a quantum battery. So there, you know, Janet being the scientist that she is and um, Jonathan Majors being the pure scientist that he is, they come together and she is able to fix the battery. However, because this piece of like this piece of equipment is so connected to who Kang is, as soon as she touches it, she sees all of his lives that he's lived as far as being a conqueror, destroying timelines and universes, killing trillions of people. You know what I mean? So once she kind of, once that epiphany happens and she's like, oh my fucking God, this, this man is like space Hitler basically. And I just helped him rebuild his, his, his car to get out of here. Um, so what she ends up doing is she makes the decision that neither one of them are going to get out. She's going to break the battery. She basically blows it up so much that it creates a paradox in the actual quantum realm so he can't use this battery to get out um now of course we know in um the second ant-man that obviously like hank and um hope have been trying to develop this technology to get access to janet to get into the quantum realm and that's the you know that's how she gets out so one of the things that I don't want to, you know, now that I think about it, I'm not going to take back my statement about the characters of the, the female characters of the MCU. I just think it's odd that Michelle Pfeiffer had the biggest load to carry. And I feel like Evangeline Lilly didn't really have a whole lot to do. Now, granted, Michael Douglas's character, I feel like he's really only there for a plot device because the ants come in handy in the third act. And honestly, now that I think about it, you forget that the ants... Are even a part like once I rewatch this movie and rewatch this movie, it'll start to make more sense. And it's just like anything else. The more that you rewatch something, the easier it is for you to pick up on the hints, for you to see the clues about like how they're setting up the movie to go along. But I I genuinely feel like maybe, you know, Michael Douglas's character also really didn't have a whole hell of a lot to do either. He, like Hope, just kept asking Janet these questions like, what's going on down here? Why is it like this? And Janet, like the pure fear that she has because she knows what the fuck is down here in the quantum realm is so palatable. She has a genuine fear that this motherfucker cannot get out of here. I've seen what he can do. I've felt it. He cannot escape here. And that's why she moves the way that she does in the quantum realm because she know like she know what's up you know what i mean she know what's coming everybody else is they just it's just waiting for them to, to figure it out um what else about michael douglas that's really it like i said i don't think he had too too much now i will say michael douglas was really funny when um like there are scenes with him where he's trying to drive the ship and just like it's just effortless like the comedy like hitting those beats it's so crazy how effortlessly he can just like fall into it and be relatively funny like it's it's really crazy um 
All right, so those are the main characters that I wanted to talk about. Oh, the quantum people. So listen, um, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but other than other than Veep, Vep, and the the dude with the lighthouse on his face for a face, I don't really I I don't and still don't care about those quantum people. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know that's not the nice thing to say. I don't care about them whatsoever. Um, and the two main people, Quaz and Gentora. So Quaz is played by a guy um, named William Jackson Harper. And it was so funny when I saw him because I was like, oh, damn. So you're not going to be fan you're not going to be Mr. Fantastic if you in this movie. Ain't no way. Ain't no way. So I thought that was really interesting because I don't know if y'all saw the rumors that had been going around of people trying to like fan cast Mr. Fantastic and his name kept coming up on the list. And it's just real ironic that they were saying that. And I don't know if other people knew this or like insiders may have known this, but it was just really funny to me that people have been like perpetrating. Oh, you know, I want this person to be Mr. Fantastic and I want this person to be Mr. Fantastic. And it's just like, listen, it's either John Krasinski, Jonathan Majors or nobody. Like at this point, I'm washing my hands of the casting. <laughs> Excuse me. But yeah, I thought that was a really funny like thing to just like for him to just show up in the movie. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I know who that is. I know you. I know you. Um, he was really funny too. I liked his scenes because he's a telepath, but like he doesn't, I don't know if he can't control or doesn't want to control, but he like reads people's minds like without having any kind of control over it. So to me, I, his kind of comedic beats were also really funny. And now I will say Gentora, she's like the rebel leader of the quantum people. She was so forgettable. And I feel really bad for that actress because I know she, her costuming was gorgeous. I felt like she just had everything going, like everything to make her such a great character. Why don't I care about her? Like, I keep asking myself that, like, why do I not care about this character? What? I just don't care about her. And when I think about her, I think about the the moving buildings. And that's so strange. I don't know. I don't know why. But I just don't care about her as a character. I feel like she was really just there to kind of hype up the idea of Kang and who he was to to them as a people. And I feel like she was she's just the person that Cassie needed to save to like give her a hero moment. And that's really disappointing because I kind of like I don't think it makes her a bad character. It's just disappointing because I don't care about her. Like I don't care about her at all. She could have not been in the movie and I I don't think it would have made a difference for me. Um all right. So yeah, those I really can't think of anything else to talk about with these characters. Um Yeah, because like I said, honestly, Michelle Pfeiffer carried this movie on her back. Scott and Michael Douglas were just I'm sorry Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas were just there to add some comedy hope was non-existent in this movie I feel they literally just had her in there so they could have that fucking moment where she sticks when they're in the time paradox because that's where I thought Scott was gonna die but they're in the time paradox and she comes down like swoops down to save him and uh, I just hate that they didn't give her nothing to do all right so now we're going to jump into Kang. Um, yeah, because this and the two post-credit scenes, that's what's going to close us out. All right. So 
this may be a little bit confusing because hell it still kind of confuses me but we're going to be talking about kang kang the conqueror kang prime and then we're also going to talk about the council of kangs and then the two post-credit scenes which <laughs> y'all i didn't even i'm such a terrible person i am usually i will look up like oh is there an in credit scene but lately i hadn't been doing that i should just you know i just been going to the movies um i fucking walked out and that's not like me so i had to like scourge the fucking dark web to find clear versions of it but i was able to watch the two post credit scenes um and i think i want to just start by saying jonathan majors is the absolutely perfect specimen of a human being he is so absolutely like breathtaking on screen anytime i see him i just want him to read the phone book so he can just keep talking he is such a good actor this is when people say i love denzel like i i love jonathan majors because i feel like he's gonna have that kind of career where he's gonna continue to make these great movies being incredible projects continue to give 180 percent like or 400 percent. i'm sorry let me correct myself because that man gives his all and he's just such a great actor oh my god like i'm sure those people in the casting department were so freaking happy that they got somebody like jonathan majors because they needed somebody that was going to be able to play multiple versions of himself like there's no one else is going to be king unless they cast a, a younger version of him um to be um is it nathaniel richards that is um the descendant of king so yeah um jonathan majors is incredible um one of the things that i think will happen is i think he will be a better or a greater villain than thanos I think Thanos had the benefit of having the mystery, you know, having several movies to kind of build him up, being off in space, you know what I mean? Like, it kind of kept him at, like, a, a safe distance from the audience. This is not, that's not what this is. This is up front, in your face, I am the villain, be prepared to see me for the next 10 motherfucking years, yeah, it's me, knock, knock, who at the door, it's Kang, hello, like, that's the energy that it gives me. So to me, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to keep saying the same shit over and over again. But this this man is so incredible. He's so incredible. He eats up. I mean, literally eats up every single scene. Um, and I think some of my favorite scenes of, of him is the quieter scenes when it's just him and him and Paul Rudd and um, Catherine Newton's character. And he's explaining kind of, you know, just the just the severity of why he cannot he i he's, he said i need to get out of here do you understand me is literally what he said like i need to get you want to get out i need to get out okay period and <laughs> i'm sorry i had to throw that in there so the other thing that i noticed about him because as someone who watched um loki and rewatched that last episode because i wanted to have context he is doing some incredible character work because we know that this version of him is going to be at the end of time, right? They're the same person. 
I know there's a lot of speculation and, and of course like the more we the more um information that we intake about this like our opinions will change or if marvel straight up says this is who this kang is and this is who this kang is but they're not going to do that right now they they want it to be messy like this on purpose so personally i feel like the version of he who remains is this version of kang 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 the conqueror is this version or kang prime you know what i mean this is the version of him this is the original version of him that created the multiversal technology to be able to meet his other selves so if you remember in loki when he was talking about the scientists that realized that there was other universes stacked on top of each other this is the same man he's just malicious this is just him at his most vicious and i think the thing for me that was like oh my god like this movie is just so fucking incredible and he's so incredible was i really appreciated that he just just the way that he talks to Paul Rudd's character just this like I can't even be bothered to remember if I actually killed you in the past or not there's so many they blur together you know what I mean he and then just saying out loud like I know how it ends that's dangerous as hell that's so fucking dangerous if only y'all knew so incredibly dangerous the malicious it's like a quiet evil that's how i would describe it this version is such a is a quiet megalomaniac psychopathic evil because this version of him doesn't think that anything he's doing is wrong remember this version of him is like i am going to conquer all versions of these timelines and nobody not even myself is going to stop me so when you see and i'm going to go ahead and talk about the post credit scenes because i think they're really important to this to this context so when you see the council of kings when you see Amortis, when you see rama tut i'm calling him iron man kang but a lot of people are calling him the version of starlet centurion and i don't know if that's true so i'm gonna just stick with iron man kang so when you get to the end of the movie and you see that scene and the three of them are talking about this version of Kang basically saying, you know, oh, he's dead. And it's funny because Rama Tut and um, and um, I and Iron Man Kang go back and forth. Rama Tut's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I bet you hate it wasn't you. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I just like to see like multiple versions of Jonathan Majors and he's working so hard to make sure that every single one of these versions of himself are completely different that's why he was so old man in the house crazy in Loki and now when we see him he's like stoic like a regal evil you know what I mean um, I think I've read somewhere I was watching in your, an interview where uh, Jonathan Major said that he wanted Kang to be, uh, you know, a man who spoke many languages across many universes, someone who is so well versed, who is so knowledgeable, so in so hyper intelligent that even the meager trying to remember if he killed you in the past or not is just too much of a chore for him. I really appreciate that because like I said, they're setting him up to be so incredible and they're also setting up the universes of K or the the Kang dynasty 
the council of kings they're setting this all up because what's coming we're not going to be ready you thought you was ready to see half of the universe be wiped away you're not ready to see multiple universes colliding and people completely being erased from existence that's what you're not ready to see and they're probably not even ready to show us because they don't they probably don't even know how to animate that shit so to me when we get to that end scene it's just like oh my god it's all coming together it was just it was just coming together for me because i really loved that these three versions of kang amortis ramatut and iron man kang or aka the scarlet centurion whatever you want to call them you know these these three versions of him are the reason that kang prime was banished because if you read the comics you know that there's one single version of Kang that all the other Kangs are scared of. That's why they form the Council of Kangs. Exactly. Because they say, like, this this version, Kang Prime, is the one that kills all of them. So they kind of colluded together, just messed up his ship, fucked it up in some way, and kind of trapped him in the quantum realm. And that's where they wanted him to stay. Now, they do straight up mention that he's dead, but of course, we don't have no body, so ain't nobody really dead, and nobody ever really dies in comics. I mean, some people die in the movies, but you know, like, nobody ever really die. Um, and I did mention this earlier, but it was really, really interesting when they, when you get to see his chair, oh, it's so beautiful because, like I said, I watched and I cannot, and I tried to look this up, and I don't know if Marvel is doing this. I don't know what's going on, but when I start, when I can't find something after a long time like this, it makes me think, okay, so that that animated show, it has spoilers or has something in it that is going to let people kind of get a, a a glimpse of what's going on in the future. Because I remember I was watching, We I don't know why we were watching. We were just watching it because it was on Disney Plus early when there wasn't a whole lot of stuff on Disney Plus. And I remember we were watching it um, and it was a throwback episode because the episode was centered on Captain America and Bucky. And then towards the end of the episode, you get to see like Kang is like, he just appears out of nowhere from his fucking chair. And he's like fast forwarding and rewinding time trying to look for a specific thing that has something to do with Steve Rogers character being a true man out of time. And I don't know if they're going to touch on this in the future. I don't know if Chris Evans is going to come back. I have no knowledge of this whatsoever. I think he will come back because you you need Captain America to come back. The original man out of time needs to meet the man who manipulates time for his own personal gain. It just makes sense. Like, it just makes sense, y'all. So I really encourage you guys to try to find it. And if I can find the name, like it was like a series, it was like three or four episodes back to back where Kang was so obsessed with Captain America because he felt like Captain America was like the key to something he was trying to do in time travel. Something. Um. So yeah, so I will encourage you guys to try to go watch Avengers the Animated Series. Now, the one thing I was kind of sad about um, 
we don't get to see his ship. But I guess they save in that for like the Kang Dynasty or maybe in another movie. So for those that don't know, um, Kang has a beautifully crafted ship. It's called the Sword of Damocles and it is in the shape of a sword. Typically, it's um, d like the sword is pointed down. Like it flies vertical, but horizontally is usually how you see the ship because it goes with like the whole, you know, the mythos or the myth of Damocles and the sword or whatever. Um, so that's one thing I wish we could have seen. I absolutely, but that, now I will say like Chef's Kiss, that first end credit scene is straight off of a comic panel. Anybody who's ever read any kind of comic would look at that and say, oh my God, like they did it again. They did it again. It's, it was so like ripped right off of the pages. Like that's what we say when we say, I want you to adapt this. I want it to be comic accurate. That's what I mean. It was such it was such a good moment. And all the different versions of Jonathan Majors. It was hard because it's one of those things where like you have to keep watching it and keep watching it because every time you watch it, something new is like revealed to you or you catch something that you didn't catch before. And I think maybe it was just my mind playing tricks on me, but I thought I saw a version of him in like the Doctor Doom outfit. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, y'all. Um, now the second, oh, before I get off of this, the first end credit scene. So the first end credit scene, um, because I went back and watched Loki, the last two episodes, it was funny because you, when you go into the Citadel of Time, you see that there's three timekeepers and the fourth one is like just messed up. Like the, that statue has gone. So I was thinking to myself, okay, so the TVA or what we think is a TVA, like the three timekeepers, it's, I mean, how most people was thinking, oh, you know, this is versions of Kang. Yeah, it truly is. Like, it's just Immortus, Rama Tut, and Iron Man Kang, or Scarlet Centurion, whatever you want to call him. So that's what I was thinking, too, that, like, this is deeper connected to Loki, and we're going to get into the second post-credit scene, because the second post-credit scene is basically a trailer for Loki season two, Holly, if you hear me, because that show was immaculate. I love WandaVision. Loki and Moon Knight are my three favorite. Like, and then I will throw Miss Marvel in there because I got to give Iman Vellani her love because baby girl doing her thing. Um, But okay, so back to the second end credit scene, Victor Timely. So I had no knowledge of who the fuck this man was prior to all of my binging and researching. So Victor Timely is a Marvel character that, um, similar to Kang, but separate from Kang, reinvents himself uh, and like, he doesn't age. So he basically comes back as like another generation, like a future generation of himself, but it's still him in the comics. So this version of Victor Timely, when you see him, he's giving, and it's so crazy because when I watched the scene, I was like, damn, this is giving me Spark, uh, Stark Expo vibes real heavy real heavy i'm starting to get the the world's fair vibes so it starts off with um jonathan majors as this version of himself another version of kang victor timely um basically talking about inter um multiversal travel um and how time is did, was he did he say how time is something we can manipulate something he said about time i can't remember y'all please charge it to my head and on my heart and 
he's he's giving his little speech or whatever and somebody i was watching a review and somebody was like he's giving me frederick douglas and i was like mm, not really i can see how y'all getting that because of the hair but it's really giving me um evil scientist honestly it's giving me manic scientist doesn't wash or bathe stays in his lab 27 8 that's what it's giving me um the other thing i wanted to mention okay so the reason why I say it's a trailer for season two of Loki is because once you once the scene kind of once the camera kind of turns around into the crowd, who's the two people you see? Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston, a.k.a. Mobius and Loki. So Loki at this point is freaked the fuck out when he sees um, Victor Timely because he knows that. Kang is some it Kang ain't nothing to fuck with okay you hear me the only person it's so crazy how the only person that really understands this, the level of severity of what we're about to deal with is a trickster god isn't that so ironic don't y'all find that funny I find that really funny and just from a writing perspective it's just so ironic how that just falls into place um but yeah, so Loki turns to Mobius and basically is like, bro, like this is the dude I was telling you about. Ah, uh, 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 like he's crazy. Like this is the motherfucker I've been telling you about. And then Owen Wilson kind of look at him like this, the motherfucker you've been talking about. Like really, this is who we need to be scared of. And that's how it kind of, um, that's how the scene ends. And for me, the things that I kind of picked up on of why this person is so important why is victor timely so important well if you know the comics you know that victor timely is the one who buys the avengers tower in the comics and it's renamed king q u uh q e n g king enterprises um and this building a version of this building was in um what's the place that everybody goes Outside the Citadel of Time is where everybody goes to get eaten by Goliath. Lord have mercy, Jesus. It's because I've been talking about so much shit, y'all. My brain is fried. Um, but anyway, there is a version of that building. Um, like how we saw like all these other different versions of just random shit that had to get basically erased by the TVA or purged. So there is a version of this King building like Q-E-N-G, Q King Enterprises um or kang enterprises however they're they're gonna say it so that's how he's connected and then i learned that victor timely is also connected to the fantastic four and to dr doom so remember i was telling y'all about dr doom and how he want to be the the og that kang is yeah mm -hmm. don't forget i said that so yeah so this um second post credit scene is like just like i said it's a tie-in to loki season two you know, because as Jonathan Majors has told us, and even as Kevin Feige has said, this is not the last that we have seen of Kang. And he low-key almost gave away a spoiler. I saw that video. He had to catch himself and, like, reboot before, like, his Marvel chip exploded. But he, I think he was going to tell us that um, Jonathan Majors has shot so much stuff as Kang because there's so many different versions of him that are probably going to start popping up and appearing so off the top of my head as I haven't um I didn't look up to see what the next like big Marvel movie was and you know what just for shits and giggles next big Marvel movie I'm trying to think 
What the fuck is next? So much shit. Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Yeah, that's coming this year. So Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is coming. Ooh, y'all think that he's in that? I mean, he could de- Jonathan Majors definitely could have did a little scene with, with somebody on the side. I'm just trying to say, I'm just telling you. I could definitely see. Hell, if, um, what's that man name that's not going to be Superman no more? Henry Cavill? If Henry Cavill can come back and film a quick scene for a damn um, Black Adam two weeks before the movie come out, I know good and damn well they can get Jonathan Majors back in that green and purple. And they can definitely shoot a couple scenes with him the other movie that's coming out this year is the marvels now i don't i i could see him being in this because this is going to take place in space and it's a lot headier i could definitely see a version of him coming up in that and then after that is captain america new world order and the thunderbolt so those two movies i don't expect him to see i could i i could expect to see him in blade and i could definitely see kang popping up in deadpool 3 and then, of course, he's definitely going to be in Fantastic Four. And then that goes into Kang Dynasty. So are we getting more Jonathan Majors? Hell yeah. Can I get a hell yeah in the back? Hell yeah, we getting more Jonathan Majors. What versions of him we're going to get? Only time will tell. But we definitely going to get more of them. <sighs> oh, man, guys, this was a fun show to record because I have been looking forward to recording this for a while because I saw the movie um, last week. Yeah, last week. Um, and I this is like the first time I've had in a minute to like sit down and, and like record everything. So, yeah, this this was really fun. I'm so glad I was able to record this for you guys. Um, I really want you all to let me know what you think about this movie and also something else, um, because I've had to learn this, too. Just because people say something is bad doesn't mean it's bad. I don't give a fuck what. And I and I use this as an example. Critics and people that I followed on YouTube shamed me out of going to see Venom. And when I saw that movie at home, I had a good fucking time. Now, Venom 2, that's another story. But I I will never be shamed out of seeing a movie. Now, the one movie, I'm not not even going to say I regret seeing it because I, I still had a good time. Morbius. I had a good time watching that movie. But anyway, um yeah guys i had such a great time i i really encourage you guys to go see this movie go see it for yourself if you can see it lit by all means because there's this movie is also very 420 friendly um for people who you know want to dabble in that before they go it's it's really immersive so i say if you if you have the money and want to experience it the way i experienced it really you know if and i feel like this is a movie where it's worth it because there's so much going on that it it creates a more immersive experience um so if you have the the little bit of extra money to kind of splurge and see it in um our rdx or 4d 3d whatever you know definitely i would encourage you to kind of spend that money and um try to actually try to actually um see it for yourself form your own opinion about the movie now, if you're one of those people that's like, yeah, oh, I got Disney Plus, girl, I'll wait. Listen, I, I I did the same thing with Thor Love and Thunder, and I don't regret it. So if that's the decision that you want to make, I'm not going to shame you. But I will encourage you because I, I want to keep the movie theaters open. I do encourage you guys, go see this movie in the theater. Go see this movie the way that it was intended to be seen. All right, y'all, I didn't talk y'all head off enough. 
I gotta go work out. Um, yeah, this movie was incredible. I hope you guys really enjoyed the podcast. Please let me know what you want me to review in the future. Um, feel free to write me, hit me up on the show, Twitter. Also, be sure to like, share, and subscribe the podcast wherever your podcast, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, we're available so we can grow this bad boy. You have been listening to Black Girls Love Movies. It's your girl Lee here, and I am out.